Welcome to Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. On the show, we will get to know artists, entrepreneurs, and coaches living life in their truth after experiencing an awakening. We'll talk about their journey, wisdom, and any tools they've learned along their path. Thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome to another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen, and I am so excited to have this week's guest. He's a fellow artist, Jake Shore Drive. Uh, He embodies an electric energy that captivates, entertains, and gathers music lovers on and off the dance floor. The passion and detail he incorporates into his music as an artist and an entertainer allows his vibrant culture to thrive through his entire fan base as he seamlessly mixes a blend of vivacious body rocking baseline driven house grooves i love it (laughs) how are you feeling jake oh i'm feeling blessed i'm good um you know things are starting to i feel like open up a little bit uh so for me as an artist like gosh it's been so long you know um so i'm I'm trying to take that in stride and you know go with the flow but it's almost friday too so that's good you know more short term wise everything's good (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. I know you mentioned that you were going to have some days in the sun, so it's beautiful. Uh, So every episode, we start off with the same question. And uh, I know we got to connect before this episode, and I was actually very inspired. So if you could share with us what your awakening journey is, and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start by just saying uh, what you're doing is an inspiration. It it really caught my ear when uh, the way we met over kind of a virtual meetup and just what you're doing, I think is super awesome, but it inspired me to, um, to speak on this. So I think the awakening for me happened about a year and a half, almost two years now. Um, I just was kind of in a rut and I found myself, um, you know, consistently abusing and using alcohol, um, to kind of just get through life. And I, and I almost, I feel like I was kind of, um, I grew up in a society and, and like a different parts of society where it was just the norm. And, uh, because I always, you know, have been a social person and somebody who's just been out there. I just, I didn't even think twice about how it was really affecting me as a person and on the inside and all the chemical imbalances and things like that. So, um, there just came a point in time where I just, I had enough, obviously, uh, there were some specific moments that really pushed that over the edge for me, but, um, you know, just, I just had enough, enough was enough. Um, and it took a quite a long time for me to adjust, but I, I knew I just had to go cold Turkey and I did, and I took it one day at a time. That one day at a time turned to a hundred days. Those hundred days turned into a year. Um, and throughout that, that, <laughs> that awakening, man, the things that I saw happen, were just unfathomable. I mean, the, the amount of pros versus cons are just so unbalanced and the pros just outweigh the cons in every facet. I mean, to the littlest cons and to the biggest cons. So that awakening for me really set me on the path that I'm at in now. And it allowed me to teach myself music. It allowed me to find what flaws I still have, even without alcohol and, uh, and other things. (laughs) So, um, you know, it teaches you a lot about yourself and I'm so happy I had this awakening because even not even just music, but it just has led me to so many other forms of self-care. Um, you know, uh, meditation, just organization, just like, you know, simple things that we can tend to overlook when you are hungover two days after you're drinking or, you know, (laughs) so yeah, the awakening for me definitely came when I stopped drinking. And it hasn't been easy. And there's been some wow. been some setbacks throughout the right. couple of times. But I, I, I definitely take them as learning moments. So, yeah. Wow. And uh, what would you say was the biggest pro when you stopped drinking? Um, I think for sure the biggest pro. Oh, that's tough. Because I know my health is without that. It's you know, my mental health specifically without that. I mean, it would just, things would have continued to deteriorate. And I think of it as like playing with matches, you know, eventually you're going to get burnt. And that's what I was doing. Mm. Um, and so, but besides that, it's gotta be the music. I mean, hundred percent. Cause I was doing music. I've DJed for 10 years, um, just about since college. And I DJed around the Midwest. I've had some other out of town shows. Um, but 
you know, I, I felt like I was kind of in a stagnant plateau with DJing and to, to learn how to make music on top of branding yourself as an artist and all that entails that, not just the creative process of learning how to use a program and then actually making the music itself with music theory. Um, I knew there was no way I was going to be able to do that if I did, if I was just drinking every weekend on top of DJing, you know what I mean? So those two go hand in hand mm -hmm. because it's the nightlife, right? But no, for sure. It's definitely been the music. I would have not been able to do anything that I've done in the past short year and a half if I was continuing on the path that I was continuing on. So yeah. Uh, wow. That's so interesting because music is in a way what, what connected us. You know, we met at the virtual meetup, as you mentioned, uh, through artist collective and I've been working with them for close to two years. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting how music can be so powerful and, and so healing at the same time. It's incredible. Um, did you feel, I guess, especially for those that are listening that may be struggling with, with alcohol or kind of contemplating, should I give it up? I don't know. I'm curious if there was any difficulty with your social circles or, you know, continuing to DJ and, and saying no to drinking or did you get any, I guess, pushback and how did you handle that? Um, hundred percent. There was for sure, um, a lot of struggle in the beginning, both on, on all the facets that you just spoke about, um, specifically with myself, um, in my own head, just asking myself like, yeah, how is this going to affect my social relationships with people? Um, will I still be accepted? Will I still, you know, um, be able to DJ? And, um, you know, I, I quickly learned that what, what, what actually happens is, the real people that really care about what you're doing and really care about you start to really surface and the ones that don't start to fade away. Um, and I think anybody mm. that who's anybody really any wants that in their life, they want people that who really care about them. And so, yeah, it was definitely difficult for me because I did worry about those things. But, um, and you know, as far as my friend group, as far as pushback, no, there wasn't a lot of pushback, which I was actually nervous about as well, because I think that's some of the trickiest parts in those first couple of weeks or those first couple of months is when you're seeing somebody who has seen you at the, as mm -hmm. this one person, which was always a happy, fun party person. It wasn't like, you know, there, most people saw me as that. So to them, it's like, well, why? You don't need to stop. You're fine. You know, um, but it was the people that were closest to me that really got the other side of that. Um, so I was, yeah, I was worried on how they would, they would react, but they, like I said, I think when you're the person who's saying, no, I don't want to do this. And then you're the other person who's like giving that person a hard time. It really shows a lot about that, that person. So I feel like I surround myself mm -hmm. with good people and I don't think any of those people want to be that person. Cause it kind of really shines the light on them instead of me. It's like, yo, dude, what, why is me having a good time have anything to do with your good time? And, and what I've also found is I thought I was worried I was going to be different, right? Because like a lot of people use alcohol to kind of like break loose a little bit or, um, you know, uh, just right. kind of have just let loose and have fun. And what I found, and I still to this day don't necessarily know if it's always a compliment or not, but everybody's like, dude, you never needed alcohol. Like you're still the same, um, <laughs> still, still up, still energetic, um, still very social. That's funny. Um, I take it as a compliment. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken with in the year, year and a half since have always used it as a compliment and in a way to continue to support me. Like, dude, you don't need that. Like, look at, look mm -hmm. at what you're doing without it. Um, look at how you still are without it. So yeah, it is very daunting at first, but what I want people to know is that it's, been nothing but good things. I, yeah, maybe my circle has gotten a little shorter or maybe I, I don't really believe in like just cutting people off unless, you know, obviously there maybe there's been like a really serious situation. But I did learn that there's just people that I don't necessarily hang around with as much anymore. But I also learned that those people were really just around because we're we we're partying. We we're at a party, you know, mm -hmm. um, and nothing wrong with that. Nothing. I don't I, I still love those people. And I I'm not going to not say hello to them or, you know, but I also, you know, I think it's part of getting older too. You know, you just kind of realize like who really cares who's, who's really there for you. And I think that's part of my life really brought that out. Um, it really kind of um, weeded out, mm -hmm. not bad people, but like I said, just people that, you know, maybe didn't even really understand what the full. You're at a different point. Exactly. So uh, it was, it was hard, but it was all good. Everything came good out of it. 
Yeah, and it's it's so interesting uh, as you were speaking. You know, it made me think of often people use alcohol or drugs uh, to mask hurt or mask pain or to you know, like you said, loosen up so that they become more social, they feel less awkward. So it's very interesting that you you noticed, or other people rather noticed that you didn't even need that. You were just you were already good, and so that kind of made me think of the fact that. You know, there's there's this association with alcoholism or being an alcoholic that you have to create this codependency. You have to create this disaster. You have to hit your rock bottom before you quit. And how healthy or how amazing that you didn't have to necessarily go that far, right? Like you didn't have to have a blackout, you know, hit a car or, you know what I mean? Like your life didn't have to. Oh, no, I had All right, all right. Well, I didn't know that. But I'm just saying like your, your life doesn't have to be completely fall to shit you don't have any other option is what i'm saying um so i think it's amazing that um you're able to to course correct uh before it gets to that point so i think that's really uh incredible and to bounce off that we we can get to the we can get to the car story in a little bit if we need to but um i think (laughs) Uh oh i think i I made you more vulnerable maybe i gave you too much credit (laughs) no 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 um i I want people to know because i think like we talked about the realness is in the, the, the communication and the discussions that people are willing to have. I think that's another thing that we can come circle back to is just any type of addiction or mental um, illness is just has traditionally never been talked about. And I think it's definitely coming back around, but no, it, it's, it's, it's something that people are more willing to talk about now. I think this is why I wanted to definitely talk about this because it was part of my awakening, but yeah, you're right. I think what I've noticed too, is when you say the word alcoholism or you're an alcoholic, people have um, maybe a handful of views in their mind of what that looks like. And um, a lot of the times it's like, yeah, that end of the road, bottom of the barrel, um, somebody's completely down on their luck and um, it's like the end of the world for them type of view. Yes, I've made tons of mistakes. I've been fortunate enough. I feel like my dad always says that I've had a horseshoe up my ass. Um, fortunately enough, haven't you know gotten any legal trouble. I haven't gotten, I haven't hurt anybody else. Um, and I haven't hurt myself, thank God. Um, but there's, I, I refer to it again, like you're playing with matches and eventually you're going to get burnt to the point where you can't reverse what you did. And I felt like there was just uh, some turning points there where I was like, yeah, no, this this has just got to stop. There's no, there's no, I can only do a couple or whatever. Um, and I am, I thank God every day that I I realized that before it was too late because, you know, I think that's why it's so hard to get out of it for some people is because they have gotten to the point where it is extremely hard. That uphill battle is a long one. And I feel like, mm-hmm. thankfully, I was, I, I caught it at a point and I had a driving factor too. I'm, it's back to the music. I mean, the music is, it's what I, ble- I, I bleed music. I, I live music. It's in my soul. It's everything that I've ever wanted truly. And that's been my my biggest driving factor. And if I didn't have that, yeah, that too. I mean, you hit it right in the head. I I did. I was lucky enough to figure this out, hopefully trying to figure it out, you know, at a time where I wasn't completely down and out. Um, I had a, I have a good support system around me, good parents, good family that were there to support my decision. Thank God. Thank, thank God for it because yeah, I don't, I knew, I knew it was going to go. Yeah. And and after Right. Yeah. I mean, after you and I spoke, I did a lot of self-reflection. I know I had shared with you that I think at the time when we spoke, it was six months. I think it's about seven months now since I personally stopped drinking. And uh, it's just so interesting how I guess rock bottom is different for everyone. And it just depends what rock bottom means for you. And, you know, what I was modeled growing up and seeing my mom struggle with alcohol and still to this day and knowing that her father was an alcoholic and he actually died of alcoholism in his late fifties, just from his liver giving out. So, you know, and then now it's destroying her life and then reflecting on my own life and saying, wow, I, I at one point couldn't go a, dr- a day without a drink either. But I, I never, I never considered myself an alcoholic because I was like, well, I'm not as bad as that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a functional person. I can hold functional. a job. Yeah. You know, I, I don't do anything that compromises my morals. I've never cheated on anyone. I've never been late for work, called out for work. So I equated it as, okay, even though I may drink every day and I drink socially, I drink alone. I just looked at it as, oh, I, I, 
I have a big tolerance. And it was almost a sense of pride. Like, oh, I can drink with the guys, you know, and I was in real estate. And so you go out with clients and then I worked in hospitality. You drink, you drink with your table. Oh, shots. Okay. Oh, buy another round of shots. Okay. And your body just builds up a tolerance literally. And so looking back, I'm like, whoa, I did actually have a problem, but I didn't want to admit that because that wasn't the social norm. That was just the culture. And it's so interesting that the reason why I stopped drinking seven months ago, kind of similar to you, you kind of like felt like enough is enough was so such a simple little thing. I just got into a disagreement with a friend um, over uh, like politics. It was at the height of all of that craziness. And I was already, you know, meditating. I was already uh, practicing self-care. I had a sense of self-love for myself and practicing compassion and leading with a sense of kindness in the world. So to me, my rock bottom wasn't even back then. It was getting into a disagreement with a person I considered a friend and not liking who I turned into and being aware enough that I was present. And I thought to myself, Tamisha, you're sounding like a complete asshole right now. Like, just chill. You don't have to be right. Just drop the subject, oh. drop the subject. And I couldn't control myself because I had alcohol in my system. Mm-hmm. And I went for the jugular. Yep. And just because I couldn't help it. And I was like, oh, I don't like who I became. I just became such a nasty person. And I felt such shame around that and guilt. And I was like, oh, this, this, this is disgusting. And literally after that day, I was like, I think I'm done with alcohol. Like, I, I don't really think I need this. I like how I feel without it. I can have beautiful conversations like you and I have. I don't really need alcohol. It just amplifies this competitiveness in me that I just don't, I don't want. So I relate very much to your 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 story. And uh, yeah, for those listening, I think rock bottom can look different depending on how much you love yourself in a sense. You know, I think the amount of abuse we're willing to tolerate, whether it's uh, alcohol to ourselves or whether it's a toxic relationship or abuse at a job, right, is in direct proportion to how we would treat ourselves. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No. And that's that's I think for me has been um, the underlying backbone of the reasoning behind why I did it and why it sounds like you did it. I don't know if I can pinpoint a specific moment. I think it's it was it's more uh, it was more several moments, if anything, but or just like an overall relationship or um, mm-hmm. you know just yeah, like I said, cup several moments, but. It definitely came down to, I don't like that person. And I know in my heart, my mom raised me, my grandmother raised me to accept everybody. I grew up in the city where I was exposed to a lot of different cultures of different religions. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I was raised in the best way possible to be the person who um, can accept differences or just treat people fairly with kindness. And And I know it's gotten me this far and as far as how many, you know, the groups of friends I have, people that I've worked with. But I also know that anytime um, a relationship was broken, a bridge was burned, it was because, and there was, alcohol has always been the common denominator, but it's because it had ignited something. Huh, interesting. It had ignited something in me that, that either um, inflated or amplified, like you said, my ego. So maybe for you, it amplified one thing, but it definitely amplified my ego. Um, I will be the first person to say, and it just right. makes Same sense. Thing. Yeah. It just makes sense. I'm a very confident person. I think as an artist, you kind of have to have some some level of confidence. But after you know mm-hmm. a long night of drinking and whatever else that led to, uh, yeah, the that little meanness, that little rattlesnake inside of me, kind of comes out. And either and I think I'm the best, or if you don't like it, well then f you. But that's not how you treat people. <laughs> That's not how you right. treat people. And that's not how you treat exactly. people in an industry where you're trying to uh, create a name for yourself. It's not how you treat people if you're the DJ that's representing somebody's business. you know. And these are all things that I think also a 23-year-old kid with a lot of popularity in a very um, big but small neighborhood, River North being that the place where I DJed most, um, has to kind of learn by trial and error. You know, I was also definitely a lot younger then, but um, it was also, again, the common denominator was always drinking. Right. And I didn't like the person that I was because I knew that wasn't me. But I, I also sat there and said to myself, dude, if I'm doing something to myself that's changing who I am for the worse, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you are seriously choosing. I mean, it, and people refer, it's poison. 
you've, you, you're, you're poisoning your body because it may work for that person or that person casually or whatever it may be. And you don't know everybody's story either. That's the thing. I think people, they don't always know the full brunt of it. But for me, I know that it does something to me different in chemically. And I know it's also has genetic, you know, purposes too, because my mom, uh, my mom's family, not my mom, sweet lady. She's, she doesn't touch alcohol at all, actually. Um, but it runs in my mom's side of my family and it definitely runs in my dad's side of my family. Neither my mom and my dad, um, my dad definitely later in life stopped, but neither my mom and my dad really touch alcohol. So they are definitely a full force support for me and totally understand why I shouldn't be doing it. But it definitely has ruined very close family members of my life to the point where they could never get this, the jobs that they wanted. They wasted a lot of money and a lot of years. Um, and if that's not reason enough, and sometimes it's not because I think sometimes people just have to figure it out themselves. You know what I mean? They can't look at their uncle right. or their grandmother. And I mean, it's you, you see it, but it may not necessarily always have the same effect until you experience it. And I for sure mm-hmm. have experienced how that ha- has changed my com- my complexion inside and out. And I think if there's anything in your life, this goes for anything. If there's something in your life that is changing who you are, you have to be brave enough to eliminate it. And it's not easy because it could be alcohol or it could be, like you said, a toxic relationship where you're, you love somebody. But just because you love somebody or you're comfortable with somebody doesn't necessarily mean it's best for you at, you know, at that time. So it's, it's not mm-hmm. easy. It's not easy at all. Yeah, I'll be, I, I agree. It's so tricky. So uh, I think those are things I, I, I remind Speaking myself. Speaking of uh, toxic True. Speaking of toxic relationships or just relationships in general, were you, when you were, I guess, drinking and now that you're not drinking, were you in a relationship? And if so, how did your partner take that? Were they already a non-drinker or were they a drinker? Did they go on this journey with you? What was that like? Um, I think so. I've been in a, I've been in a relationship, relationships for quite some time. I feel like I have been the uh, quote unquote serial dater, if you will. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily been a bad way. I think I just, I honestly just have a big heart and I appreciate a good relationship. Um, but I definitely could tell you since end of high school till about three, two years ago, since I stopped drinking, um, every relationship that I have ever had for sure was ruined in some way or shape or form by alcohol. Um, either because it led me to, um, you know, it led me to infidelity. It led me to um, abusing other things within that relationship. It led me to um, anger with that person in a certain relationship. And, you know, I don't, at the time, it's like, you don't, I didn't think that was it at all. But now looking back, that was a hundred percent it. And um, since not being in, uh, in that, you know, that mindset where I'm drinking, yeah, it definitely helped my current relationship immensely for a long time. Did it fix everything? No. Um, and so like personally, like I still find myself going through things. And like I had heard to earlier, the stopping of drinking has allowed me to find some of my other flaws, but also some of my other wants and needs. And I think something I've been talking to a lot of people about lately is because I've been in those relationships for so long. I never gave myself a true chance to grow um, alone and on my, on my own and gave myself that own peace. And I think even without alcohol, I've learned that, um, about myself, which is kind of where I'm at right now in my life. And I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a a spot where I'm going to have to make some pretty tough decisions here in my life about where I want to go. Um, because I know what I need and I, what I want, but it's not meshing up exactly with who I've been with for the past couple of years. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, and I, I don't want to get too specifically into it, but I, but when things like this are happening, man, that, that bottle that I used to be so comfortable with is winking at me again and it's whispering in my ear. Of course, it's, right it's a there. comfort. And it's so annoying because I've been doing so <laughs> freaking well, but it is, it's a mm-hmm. comfort thing, but it's masked with so many bad things and it's ruined my past relationships for sure. Um, in some way, shape. And then, you know, in some relationships I I did, I had um, girls that were not really big drinkers, but were kind of just going through the motions of partying because they're, we were young and, 
you know, we're, we just, that's what we're kind of taught to do in our society, especially if you go away, like I did to a big 10 college. Um, it's all you do. I mean, shit, I, I didn't wake up. I, first time I ever woke up at 8am in the morning to go drink was in college, but everybody was doing it. So you do it. You know what I mean? Um, that's crazy. The problems definitely grew with wow. time too, and grew with relationships. I think my relationship <laughs> after college, you know, I dated somebody that was in the bar scene and in the club scene and in that mixed with that. Um, and I think for me, that was definitely in the long term. Looking back as well, that was not a good place to put myself or surround <laughs> myself with. Right. I don't regret any relationship that I ever had. So yeah, overload. Not even about that person. It's more so what was good for me. And that was like, yeah, overload. I mean, I was surrounding myself around with it without even wanting to surround You're living myself. in the environment. Living in it. Right. 100%. Because you, you times that by all the other things that you have as a a young 25 year old still trying to figure out relationships and you know you want to be involved all the time so even when I wasn't out I was still out because I wanted to be around that person which then just led me to drinking and that drinking led to all sorts of other bullshit and it's just like yeah that wasn't good for me at all. <laughs> but like I said it's not the right. end, it's not the end all be all though yeah. so you know that's the that's the tricky part but what I'm thankful for is I've learned that even though that it helped immensely not drinking with my relationships um, as far as communication, as far as trust, as far as just being reliable, as far as being nice, it doesn't fix everything. But I think that's what it teaches you. You know, when you when you fix one thing about yourself, I'm all about self care. So you you got to keep working. There's something else I got to fix. You know what I mean? Because I'm not perfect. I think it's just you keep you keep moving, keep finding that next thing you got to work on. So that's where I'm at right now. It's not easy, but so well, yeah. I was just going to ask you. You mentioned self care. What is uh a self-care practice that you have implemented that really keeps you grounded? I have a couple and I think I have some that I don't even realize are self-care, but they are, they are, I would say, you know, my, I love to um, go on long walks either by myself or with my dog. I just got a dog like three, four months ago and he's a little, he's still a little puppy and he's always going to be a little puppy in my eyes, but um, he's grown a little bit. He's a pug slash um, Boston Terrier. So he doesn't have like the squishiness, like chubbiness of a pug. But um, he looks like a mini boxer, and he's just the cutest guy in the world. So I've been running around with him, um, you know, walk, well, walking around. I don't really run, um, but walking around with him. <laughs> and I love that because it's such a peace of mind. I live, um, you know, down in, in the River North slash Old Town area, and especially when the warmer weather's out, it's just such a vibrant feel. It's a way for me to clear my mind. At the same time, I also love a long, a good long drive. Um, I've always commuted back and forth to work. I'm a school teacher too, so I work um, at in Arlington Heights, and I commute back and forth. And that long drive is peaceful for me, either to pop on a podcast, um, listen to music, find new music. Um, so I think those are things that I don't even think are you know things that I, I use to just kind of self care and like self meditate. But then I've actually been explicitly meditating most recently. I've been doing what's helped me is because I find that when I try and meditate and close my eyes in the morning, I set a time every morning right before I go into work. I sit in my car because I feel like I'm there anyway, so I might as well. And I started doing it for five minutes, but I realized I just start getting all in my head. Like everything I'm starting to think about for the day starts to come in. And I, I read and learned that like you really shouldn't like think of know what those thoughts are and revisit them later, but just focus on your breathing. So I learned this technique called box breathing. You may know it. I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, four seconds in, hold it for four seconds, four seconds out, hold it for four seconds, and then repeat. And that, the concentration of that and kind of like that, that rhythm has worked wonders for me. And it does work. I was not like a believer, you know, meditation, like, I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I love that. But I wasn't. I'm going to be honest with you. And it, for the first couple of times, I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, I just start thinking about everything I have to do. But when you really focus on your breathing, man, I come out of that car and it's just like, I have a tunnel of focus and not only focus, but just excitement mm -hmm. and confidence on what I got to accomplish today. And I believe it does definitely help. Um, and then I also work out and I, and I think music too is like, I'm always going to revert to music, you know, just being in the studio and crushing some things right. out. But I think music has not become necessarily a job, but I treat it like a job. So it's not a job in the sense that I, I if I, I don't like to get too super stressed out about it. And there's been times that I have, but I've really learned to accept when I'm not feeling do, like doing music. So I don't do it. But when I am feeling doing music, it's the best self-care I can have, ask for. 
Uh, but then, like I said, working out too. So, so a couple different things. I try and keep keep moving it around, keep trying new things too, because um, I don't like to stay. I don't like to plateau or stay stagnant with one one or two things. But those have been like the staples, I think, over the past couple of years, especially with with you know not drinking. Um, so those have helped for sure. It's what about nice you? Variety. What about you? I want. So I know you me. mentioned that you're a school teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can flip it on me. Um, Just oh, I, I mean, I'm always for open me, to new ideas. one of the ways that I. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the ways I practice self care is I love taking baths. So I'm a big bath person, and so I send I, I put candles, I uh, put some of my crystals, I'll play some music. Sometimes I'll, uh, you know, have some either hot cacao, like a hot chocolate or a tea or whatever, and just literally lay in, in a bathtub, listen to music, maybe I'll meditate. So that's been a way of self-care. It's very relaxing. Besides that, I love to journal. I journal every day. Meditation, that's pretty much, I mean, yeah, self-care, it's like a self-standard at this point. Uh, it's just a way of, of life uh, for me. Working out, boxing is something I, I picked up. Nice. So I box typically three, four times a week, and it's surprisingly releasing. Uh, I'm not necessarily a violent person, no, <laughs> never no, have been. Released, yeah. So I was very hesitant to start boxing, um, but once I started, I just became hooked. There's something about just releasing that that oh, is yeah. very, very powerful. 100%. Uh, even if you don't feel angry, just I will say like positive affirmations while I'm punching or kicking and it's, it's really nice. So those are probably a few that I can think of, think of off the top of my head. Um, and then probably also cooking. I used to for a long time, after I went through a divorce, I stopped cooking. I just felt the sense of like, well, if I'm not cooking for, you know, myself and a significant other, I'll just, you know, buy takeout or, you know, ready meal, whatever. It was just, just very, I just stopped cooking for years. And I started, once I got my own place, I got a studio. Um, I just started cooking again and I found the joy of cooking and just cooking for myself and taking pride in that and just doing it with love and cooking with quality ingredients, spending a little extra money on quality ingredients. Um, and I just budget for that because before I really wouldn't, think about what I was putting in my body. It's like, oh, whatever, eggs are eggs, right? Or yeah. now it's like I actually care. And uh, yeah, that's been a form of self-care. Uh, so. I, know, I know several people that mm-hmm. find therapy and cooking. And I think, um, yeah, you, you, that's awesome. And like, those are compl- like not completely all together, but for the most part, very different than mine. So I'm always interested yeah. in hearing other people's techniques. Because I think you mentioned journaling, which I'm in- interested in a little bit, because I know, like, I always keep a notebook by me because I'm same way. I have like inspiration idea. I'm more so like jot down mm-hmm. a strong idea, jot down like goals and stuff, just kind of make lists. It's like the teacher in me, I think. But mm-hmm. what, when you journal, like I do you journal, um, obviously you're journaling inspirations and thoughts. Now, how often do you like, do you use those explicitly for something? Do you go back to them? Um, like, is there, a, is there a mode? Yeah, I use it? a format. Okay. I have a format. So there's two, two ways that I journal. Uh, one way would be just a free flow of consciousness. So I'll, I'll literally just have no expectation, just pen to paper and just start writing whatever will come up for me. And I'll stop writing whenever I stop writing. And it's just a way to kind of do a brain dump and just get all of my ideas out or, or whatever's in my head, get it out on paper. And I'm not really trying to have a goal or there's no agenda. It's just trying to empty my mind onto the paper. And sometimes there's a song idea in there. Sometimes there's something, sometimes there's nothing. It's just all bullshit. But you know, it's just a great way if your mind's really racing um, it's a good way to just dump it all out yeah, on paper. So that's that one way. <laughs> yeah. And the second way is I use a format called future self journaling. I got that from the, the holistic psychologist, uh, one of my favorite accounts on Instagram. And it's basically a format that you follow. It takes a couple minutes. It's pretty easy. And you're, as the title implies, uh, journaling about yourself in the future. So future self journaling. So today I affirm to do this, um, you know, uh, I am grateful for this. Today, I'm going to shift my focus to this. Change in this area will allow me to feel this. When I think about who I'm becoming, I feel this. So just those affirmative statements that really allow your brain to think about what you want to be and what you intend to show up as. And so I've been doing that way of, of journaling for about two years. And so when I look back at when I first started, a lot of the, the qualities and things that I used to write I have now embodied today. So it's it's very interesting that if you do it enough, mm-hmm. you start becoming that, even though you may not think it in the moment, 
when you're writing it, like, oh, I'm a kind person or I'm a generous person or whatever, whatever it is. You may not feel like you're that person, but if you do it enough times, you start showing up as that. You start oh, yeah. noticing, oh, okay, I'm going to give a little extra. Or, oh, I can do this. I can donate to that. Or I can show up in this way. Or, oh, I can give back on that or whatever. And I noticed that when you look back at the journals, kind of like before and after pictures when you work out in the gym, the, the transformation isn't in the day. It's yeah. compounded over time. So journaling is the same thing. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. And like I, I just... I've been recently, you know, I've been hearing that a lot and I've been trying it a lot too. Just like I know the other day I had, um, I had the, the great task of finishing my report cards, um, you know, before a certain deadline. And uh, the way I work is I procrastinate. <laughs> so, but I always get it done. Um, but I, kn- I knew that I had a long day ahead of me, right? Long day and a half, whatever it was, um, night and day, I guess. And I was like, you know what? I just sat there for about five minutes and I just envisioned how I'm going to feel when I'm done. I envisioned, you know, what I'm going to uh, be happy for when I'm done and, and what it's going to look like and me sending in That's the great. email, everything. And then, th- and then when you do it and like, it's done, it's like, yeah, I mean, I knew that was going to happen. You know what I mean? It's almost like that feeling. And uh, so I've been, <laughs> I've been, I feel like that's kind of similar yeah. to what you're saying a little bit, but it's also, like you said, if you really, um, if you really put your mind to what you, th- what you want to accomplish and you stick to it. And you say it enough, and you and you, you'll find yourself start. All you do is, I mean, it's the, I feel like the definition mm-hmm. of manifesting. You're just you're putting yourself in only positions where you can get a certain outcome. Um, and I've been all about that ever since I stopped drinking, and ever since I picked up and went further with my music. It's amazing. It's amazing what you know people can do when they really not only have that vision, but ex- start to execute it in all forms and fashions. Uh, right. It's crazy. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I was just interested yeah. to see how you were journaling. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm happy to share uh, the link as well. She offers it up for free. Um, so a couple couple more questions I want to ask you before we wrap up. I know we're, we're pretty much uh, almost at our time. Um, I know you mentioned you work at a school and obviously working with children in this past year. I don't know if you worked virtually and now you're back in the school uh, I'm just curious to hear what is the biggest shift you've seen working with kids? Has it impacted their uh, mental health and their social skills? And I guess what are you doing as a teacher to kind of help navigate that? I'm just really curious to hear from someone who's actually in the classroom. Yeah, I love that you asked that question because I think, you know, especially people our generation who are removed from that, I've, you know, we grew up in a different way. Our parents grew up in a different way with schooling. And, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't really think about that until our generation starts having kids again. And then they are a little exactly. more involved. So, exactly. So um, speaking to those friends and anybody else who's just curious, yeah, school has definitely been different this year. Um, I have been in the school since the beginning of the year myself and all the other teachers at our district. It's different in every district. Originally was just teaching um, on Zoom to my entire class who was remote. So yes, that means I was going into school to okay. teach from a computer and all the kids were remote. And then about, wow. I know, crazy, right? Okay. Um, so yes, that came with its own. I mean, think about teachers. I'm not type A like most of them, but most of them are type A. So like to bring on a big change like that, these stress levels were very high at the beginning of the year. I'm more of like the type A point two or like maybe even B where I'm like, guys, it's going to be okay. Like the kids are going to love us across the screen or not like, don't worry, it'll be fine. We'll figure it out together. It's not like one of us is dealing with this. So that slowly shifted in October. We started to have like um, half of our class. Well, really more like for mine, it was like six or seven kids come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The other, another six would come on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. And then there was still a group of them that chose to not come in at all. Okay, so now I have three different groups, some that are here, some that are not, some that are on screen, and I have to teach live and in person, right? Um, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Wow. um, So yeah, the shift was very, very intense. Uh, And again, I'm the type of teacher where I'm like, it'll be fine. We got this. Like, I feel like I'm definitely that anchor in my school. Um, It's like you're... 
you know. it's like you're live on Instagram. You're performing for the kids in front of you and Yo, on the screen. Like it's just it's so interesting. It's, it's been interesting, right? And like, so just like the logistics of it all, because as a school, I mean, and a teacher, you're first and foremost, you're responsible for their safety. So like to try and keep track of where all these kids are, it's like a task in its own. And then remember, like classroom management too is you know not just teaching but like managing your classroom so that you can teach and they can learn well how am i supposed to how does that look when a kid is standing on their bed jumping up and down at their uh at, you know at their house or you got mom or dad walking by in like just pajamas and it's Trying like to discipline oh. them. yeah yeah so that's been tricky um recently yeah, it's getting darker too can you still see me and everything am i good yeah, I can see you. Okay, cool. Oh, well, that means we got to wrap up soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other thing was, so yeah, it it, it has cut, gotten back semi pretty pretty close to normalish as far as the amount of kids that have now come in. I pretty much have all my kids in after spring break. There will only be two that cho- that are choosing to stay remote, so they do have that choice. The kids um, are like, well, with you know the class schools aren't built for kids to be six feet apart, like sitting in a room. So we've literally had to like remove right. bookshelves and like make as much much space as we can. And then to kind of like adhere to some so that's like the logistics of it. But what you asked about their mental health mm-hmm. and their progress, um, you know, I was deathly afraid of that because gosh, I mean, think about how adults reacted to this situation. I can only imagine what a third grader mm-hmm. is feeling like. You know, when they see mom and dad all of a sudden say, You're not going to school anymore. You need to put on a mask. We can't go there. You can't go see grandma. Like these poor kids, who knows what they really thought at first, you know? And I will say, um, you know, I do work in an affluent area. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. Let's be honest. But the kids, man, for being nine years old, they floored me by how great they were at transitioning, at going with the flow, at just still bringing that, that innocent joy to, to learning, to an environment. Like they, they just want to go to school. They just want to see their friends. I had some kids that hadn't seen their friends in almost a year, you know, and it's like what I've realized so more importantly than anything. And I think parents did too. And I think a lot of people, the social aspect of school is by far one of the most important for development, especially at a young age. Right. Um, something that my school and I think just school in general has adopted in over the past couple of years. And now it's actually part of our curriculum. It's in our core schedule, our block schedule is what's called SEL. So it's social emotional learning for those of you that don't know the acronym, uh, wow. which is, it is built in time to focus on teaching kids how to equip, equipping kids with um, emotional intelligence, which I think is a word is a phrase that a lot of people don't think of, but we all have it. And I think certain people, it's, it, it's a lot of factors that go into it, but I know when I was growing up, I mean, we didn't talk about how are you feeling today, Jake? Or, you know, until maybe like you got in trouble or you were already upset. What we're teaching the kids now is A, how to identify their feelings. We have, you know, of course we got to pr- make it primary and elementary. So there's color codes on how you're feeling. You could be in the green zone, the red zone, and green being like a state of happiness, contentness, red zone, you're like angry. But then there's blue zone where you could be just feeling sad or down that day. So we really try and make it very, um, explicit and model it for them and very concrete, but you can see what it's doing from first graders that learn it when they come to into third grade um, and then so on. And it's like, these kids are being able to identify their emotions and regulate their emotions and communicate their emotions. Um, And I, and you could easily say that a lot of the stuff that we see, let's just be current here, like yesterday in Atlanta, somewhere along the line, Mm -hmm. that young man, was not properly educated on his emotions and his emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, when you're not educated and you're not emotionally intelligent, yeah, I mean, just like any other person who's not educated in certain areas, they're going to experience um, hardships. They're going to experience, um, you know, uh, missed opportunities. and And especially with emotional, you know, our emotions drive everything we do it's the leader. It's, it's what we, you know, like I have a, I mean, there are lesson plans for sure and everything, but what it allows you is to get into really deep conversations with a third grader about how they're feeling or situations. Um, and like, you don't think that these kids have that capacity, but they do. It only makes me just so happy that they're learning this now so that they're more prepared in the future to 
not only regulate their own emotions and be able to, um, you know, but also to reciprocate and understand other people's emotions. You know, when you see on the news that people are upset for a reason, not just make a quick judgment based on what they're upset about, but take a second to understand, okay, they're upset for some reason. So let me try and have the empathy, which is something that a third grader has to learn how to have, um, to just maybe realize, okay, wait, before I judge them on what they're upset about, let me try and understand them. And what you need to do that is emotional intelligence. Um, like I said, just the fact that it's even talked about now, and it's it's a program and it's a curriculum. We have we are now breeding a, a, a group of learners who will be emotionally intelligent in the work field, in society, um, with different races and different cultures and different all different walks of life. And isn't that what we all always wanted? At least that's how, that's what I want. So I think, um, yes, it might be scary right now for basically, you know, some things that we've seen and it's been scary in history, but I think the future is bright and that's how I like to think about things. And I can tell you firsthand, I'm teaching it. So, and it it does work and it does help. Um, I've seen so (laughs) many kids, like one specifically, he couldn't regulate his emotions at all last year. I mean, he'd freak out if something, if he forgot his homework, but like get real angry and upset. And we worked all year long and communicated this to his parents and worked with them and really focused on that with my, my SEL lessons. And this year he's a completely different kid and it just warms my heart and it warms the parents' heart. And it's like, it works. So it's, it's just, it's super, super awesome to see that they're getting it at such a young age. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you asked about it because I, I you don't yeah. often get to speak about stuff like that, um, and pe- a lot of people don't realize that that's even right. thing, you know they. No, I think it's great. They think math, reading, and but without social emotional intelligence, all those other things, they they can't progress in those either. Yeah, you know, like how could you learn without a clear mind, without being totally at, a, at a content state to learn? You know, so it it, all, it mm-hmm. filters into every aspect. Uh, so yeah, I'm loving that part Very of it. True. Uh, well, you're you're slowly fading away oh, into yeah, the darkness, <laughs> but I have two more I have two more questions yeah, for you before I let you go. And so, no, number one is, what would you say is the meaning of life in your own words? What is your philosophy? Um, I think, if anything, I've learned that the meaning of life is what you what you want to make of it. You need to start with a dream. You need to start with a vision. You need to have a passion and a mission. Once you get that, once you find that, once you uh, um, understand that, you need then then you can then you need to set a plan. When you follow that plan, you start to execute, and then you got to revisit and you got to shape things around. And life is all about that journey for me. And yeah, the word manifestation is definitely a key to life for me. It's like you can do whatever you want to do. You really can. Um, and I think within that, life is also about getting over that fear that comfortability that we all sit with in our subconscious and sometimes out in, out in the open, you can't move forward if you're comfortable at all times. You just can't. You have to get over that fear and manifest that goal, that dream. That's the meaning of life for me. I think we're all put here for a reason. It sometimes takes 27 years to figure out that reason. But, um, you know, that's okay. I, I know that it's there for every single person, no matter where you come from, what environment you grew up in. It may be harder for some people and easier for others, but I think if you do it with a good mind and a good heart, um, you know, you can really accomplish anything. So that's the meaning of life to me. It's you're only here for so long. You might as well leave something, leave something big and helpful, you know, while you can. So, yeah. I agree. And yeah, I mean, I'm 35 and I'm still figuring it out, you know, and you might I'm be figuring it out every day and I inch, inch closer. Things change. So, too, so, yeah. You know. So yeah, you can, you can retweak and revisit. So I really love that. And uh, yeah, last but not least, uh, Jake, what are your words of wisdom you want to leave our audience with? What has guided you uh, on your path thus far? Um, I think you got to surround yourself with the people that you I'm big on surrounding yourself with the people that you aspire to be. Um, you know, there's an old saying that like if you surround your if you if you have six friends that are millionaires, you're going to be the seventh millionaire. If you have six friends that are drinking, doing drugs, and partying every weekend, you're going to be the seventh one. 
Um, and there is a lot of truth in that. Now, I'm not saying that people from your past can't continue to be in part of your life or friends, but I think you do need to realize that, um, you know, the people that you surround yourself, not only will show you who you are, but you need to be, they need to understand your goals and visions and, and support you in every which way and not have a shadow of a doubt that what you want to do, you can do. Because if there are any people around you that have a shadow of a doubt that you or, or don't take you seriously, I'm sorry, but those people are going to be distractions for you, um, even though you may love them or you may not have any personal issues with them, but you, you need to make sure that you have those people around you. Um, and it's not always easy to find them, but, uh, you, you will find them if you go on that path that you want to take. And like I said, it's kind of that, that almost weeding out process, or I would like to rather stay positive and say it's them coming to the surface, you know, but I think that's my words of wisdom mm. is just surround yourself with who you want to be, um, who you aspire to be like, really think about that. So, yeah. I really love that. That really resonates with me because I've always heard, you know, you become the five people uh, you surround yourself with or you earn the average income of the five people you surround yourself with. And you just made a little twist on that. You become the sixth per or the seventh person. And that's just kind of like a for me, like, oh, my gosh, you're right. That makes so much sense. So I really appreciate you sharing that perspective and just all your wisdom. And you look like a uh, you're just floating. floating your head's head, just yeah. kind of floating in the darkness, which is kind of cool. Right. So yeah. I love it. We went from light to dark That's from right. uh, from uh, morning to, to night. So go. I just want to thank you for coming on the show, Jake. And uh, before we uh, say goodbye, I would love for you to just let everybody know how they can stay connected with you, um, uh, where they can find you and how they can best support you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I am all over all the social platforms is like the main ones, right? Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok now, uh, Jake Shore Drive. Um, yeah, it's the play on words, just how you hear it, Jake Shore Drive. Um, and uh, yeah, so also SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple as well. I make dance music, house music, tech house, deep house, um, I try and spin that little 90s, 2000s R&B flair in there, here and there. Um, so if you like any of those those styles of music, or if you don't, come check it out. And uh, if it makes you move, you're in the right place. So, Yay, amazing. I love it. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jake. I'm sure we're going to stay in touch. And uh, I wish you all the success on your, oh, on your music journey. You too. Seriously, great talks. Um, Thank you. Talk soon, for sure. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode brought you value and perspective. If you are a coach yourself or aspiring to be, maybe you're a healer, tarot card reader, mystic author, or a light worker in any sense of the word. If you are looking to get more clarity around how to launch or relaunch your spiritual based business, perhaps you want to start your own podcast or figure out your core audience. Maybe you just need accountability to get the thing done. Schedule a time with me at calumly.com slash vibe queen slash map consultation and we can hop on a zoom call and see if working together makes sense i appreciate you sending you so much love and until next time